the way you speak to yourself is really important. So you are with yourself 24 seven, 365. And I've read studies where we have as many as 6,000 thoughts per day. And a lot of that is that inner kind of inner voice talking to us and, and chattering. So if that gets negative and your inner critic is kind of blaring its nonsense over your PA system, you know, you need to take note of that and say, Welcome to Learn or Be Learned. We either learn from others or others learn from us. The former is able to help us become a better, faster you. Follow me weekly as I dig up stories like a true anthropologist would on one of the three series called Guest Conversations, Book Applications, or My Small Talk Explorations. I'm your host, Shiva Danishaker, and let's talk. All right. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here with Emily Sanders. Hey, Emily, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I'm Emily Sander, and you know I can go into my professional background, uh, which would be I grew up in Seattle, Washington. And so Amazon and Microsoft were the big companies in that city. So I worked for both of them. I was actually um, one of the testers for the original Kindle device. So back before anyone knew oh, what wow. an e-reader was, <laughs> I was testing that very first version. And I remember having to keep it secret from family and friends um, while I was doing that. And then it released right before Christmas. And I got to tell everyone that I had been working on that and trying to explain what a Kindle was to everyone. So did that. What was your initial thoughts on that? Since it was, like- I th- I thought it was really cool. It mm-hmm. was um it was like the very first version, so very basic, and it had a whole bunch of formatting issues. But the concept, I was like, oh, interesting. So you don't have to mm-hmm. carry a whole bunch of big books around. I can see how this would be useful for. Yeah, that's even just- better now because of textbooks and stuff. You can just download textbooks, so you don't have to carry like six textbooks to class. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And for traveling and such. So mm-hmm. I still have a Kindle now. So um, I'm proud that I got my little part of of making that uh, work and making that better. So that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, went on from there to work for some startups. I was, uh, the smallest one was, I was the sixth person at a startup. Um, so that was um, a whole bunch of fun and learned a lot on that. I just moved my way up through various companies. Um, I built the uh, client management team from scratch, so a global client management team from scratch, which at the time was very new to me. Recruiting and hiring, especially in a foreign country, was brand new. I remember walking from our CEO's office when when the order came in, like, Emily, go build uh, international client management team, get client managers in region. And I walked back to my desk and Googled, you know, how to hire someone in the UK. Cause I had no idea mm-hmm. how to do that, but <laughs> figured it out. And thankfully I got some great hires in region and that went well. And then, um, have, you know, worked my way up to the executive team. And I currently serve as chief of staff. Um, and I'm a advisor for our CEO and our leadership team at a small digital marketing agency we have here. Um, and I'm also, of course, a, a life, coach, uh, life coach, business coach, and work with executives and business leaders from all around the world kind of separately in my own practice. Mm-hmm. So what exactly does a chief of staff do in this hierarchy of roles? Yeah, so good question. So the way I like to describe it is, you know, that little plastic thing that holds the six cans together? When you mm-hmm. buy soda, 
that's kind of the chief of staff. So they hold everyone together on the management team, on the leadership team. And that can be anything from spearheading large company-wide initiatives and making sure all of the departments have what they need and are working together and also keep them accountable. And then I'm a, a soundboard for our CEO and also the other um, C-suite leaders. So basically, if they're having trouble with their teams or they're kind of trying to think through the next few steps, if they make a strategic move over here, how is that going to affect the company in six months or the different departments um, immediately? So kind of uh, that trusted advisor and soundboard for a whole bunch of different things. So kind of it's it's very much coaching in a way. So they, yeah. there's definitely some overlap there. What are some lessons you learned through the years? Because, you know, you've learned a lot about leadership and and hiring process and what to look for in a person that is going to be right for the job. So how would you what advice would you give for people that are maybe smaller businesses or new to the game and are trying to hire someone for the first time? Maybe it's the first person they've ever hired on their team. What do they look for? Yeah, yeah. So um, there's a couple ways to answer that. The first one is when recruiting and hiring, you kind of look at two big buckets. So the first one is aptitude and mm -hmm. the second one is attitude. So the first one is the hard skills you would need for the job. So do they have, you know, the coding experience or can they, you know, code in Python or C sharp mm -hmm. or whatever you need? If they're an accountant, do they have, you know, the CPA credentials, et cetera, et cetera. The second bucket, which is attitude, is basically do they fit in well with the company mm -hmm. culture and team culture and would they work well with you? Basically, you know, if they're going, oh, Emily's our new hire um, and people, you know, get to work on a group project with her, do they cringe when they have to work with Emily or they're like, oh, no, she's cool. She knows what she's doing and she's nice to work with. Um, so I've heard that. Another way to think about that, I've heard it called the brilliant jerk or the friendly incompetent. So, you know, <laughs> you might be really friendly and lovely to work with, but, you know, you don't have the hard skills. Conversely, mm -hmm. you might know what you're doing and be very knowledgeable, but no one wants to work with you. So the ideal candidate would um, be a top performer in both categories, in both buckets. Um, mm -hmm. So that's something to look for. For startups, um, there's, there's kind of this X factor quality where you get to wear many hats and you're adaptable and you can kind of multitask and switch back and forth between things really quickly. So in a new company like that, that skill is what you want to look for. Cause that's going to kind of lead into different things where someone can keep up with the pace and you're usually working at a very frenetic uh, fast pace. And they also can do a whole bunch of different things. So at that stage, I would say, unless you need a specialist for some particular reason, look for a generalist who can jump into a whole bunch of different things and do that well. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think adaptability would be a really, really powerful uh, quality to have, especially in a startup, right? With that, because I feel like that's still, um, there's still moments where you have to, it, it can be difficult, right, to find the right people. What what struggles have you noticed with within group dynamics that you maybe wouldn't expect when you're starting out um, that are important in finding people or finding a team that works together well? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is we're all individuals and we view the world differently and we communicate differently. So those are big pieces to to keep in mind, especially when you're sometimes spending more time with these folks than your family. 
Um, <laughs> so I kind of talk about in my in my uh, book, Hacking Executive Leadership, we all have a lens through which we see the world and through which we interpret you know, events or experiences. And it's almost like wearing a contact lens. So if you have a contact lens in, um, everything you see is tinted by that lens. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you forget that it's on. So your set of beliefs or values about the world is your lens in this case. And everything that's coming in is interpreted or filtered through that lens. And so you could be sitting at a team meeting, for instance, and you could have five other people around that table. And that team meeting and what happens in that team meeting, you could get five different descriptions of how that went or what happened because everyone's viewing it from their own vantage point. So taking some time uh, to be self-aware and try to understand, hey, how am I seeing the world? Are there certain things that trigger me? Are there certain things that um, you know give me energy or drain me of energy? Kind of what's what's my filter? And then understanding and being aware that the person you're speaking with will have a different lens. It might be similar, but everyone's unique and has their own background and experience. So what's their lens? How are they seeing you know this situation and this team meeting? Um, so that's something to keep in mind. And there's ways I work with my coaching clients on kind of discovering some of their lenses or hidden beliefs, because sometimes <laughs> you don't you don't know them. They are inherited from childhood. So that's a big one. The other thing I would say with any team, big or small, is communication. So we have such different communication styles. Some people prefer very direct, very straightforward you know, don't beat around the bush, just give it to me straight communication. And that works for them. They can hear what you need to hear. They get the information they need. And other people need a little more nuance and need you to be a little bit gentler and kind of maybe pat it with some with some positive things that they're doing. Um, and that's what works for them. So, you know, figuring out, hey, I might like to be communicated in a certain way. I might need certain information to move forward, but my team member might need something very different. So do I know their communication style and can I flex to what they need? And as a leader, it's your job to flex to what your team members need. So don't always expect people to say, you know, it's the boss's way or the highway. No, 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 no. If you're a leader, one of your jobs is to make sure your team members are performing at their best and serving them um, the best you can. Oh man, don't I know it? Because I'm more, I'm more direct, and I've definitely experienced my direct advice is not taken well because it wasn't <laughs> padded. And I just want to ask a follow up with that. Do you think the the best approach when you don't? Because when you know somebody, you can you know how to approach whether you know they need to be a little bit more soft, like mm -hmm. you know, with it, or you know, just right direct to the point. When you don't know somebody, it's like the first time. Do you is the approach probably just to go, you know, a little bit more gentle first, and then kind of get to know them, and then like, okay, they just take things directly. Yeah, it's a good question. If you had to pick out of those two, I would probably default on the quote unquote softer approach, just because if you happen to have the mismatch where you're super direct and they prefer kind of a softer approach, you could send them into a tailspin without meaning to. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I tell people is um, ask, ask someone, say, hey, I have, you know, some information to share some, uh, can I share some feedback with you? You know, what kind of uh, things would be helpful for you here? Um, 
that's a, that's a good way. And if it's the very first meeting with someone, you kind of have to, you know, just do your best with it or just kind of say, Hey, what apply common sense. So what do I think is going to be best in this situation? Um, but going forward, you know, one of the things you can and should be doing as a leader is observing your team members and saying, Hey, you know, how to, how do they show up, uh, in different scenarios? What do they seem like they respond well to? And in your one-on-ones, I, I certainly encourage people, um, to, to just ask them because people love being asked like, Hey, like how, what level of information would you like in this, in these scenarios? Um, and you know, how, uh, what works best for you in terms of feedback? Like, those are great questions. If I get those from, mm-hmm. from my boss, then I love that. It's a little comforting to hear uh, from someone who's, you know, been doing business and has a lot of experience uh, that my my values are, two of them at least, are adaptability and communication, which I think is very important, especially when it comes to teamwork, uh, you know, business, whatever it is, even uh, relationships, family, everything, right? It's very important qualities to have, and and it's very comforting to hear someone also reassure me, like, yeah, those are very good qualities that you should enact in. What are a couple other big values that will go a long way in business or elsewhere? Yeah. Um, A big one is how you approach failure, and I put that in quotes. Um, So everyone who, you know, everyone in life is going to quote unquote fail at something or, or not do as well as they would have liked. And um, if you think about failure as a series of loops, so a series of loops and the big chain of them goes up and to the right, that's a good way to think about it. So each failure event is one individual loop. And so there is a point where you're going backwards and you're going the opposite direction you want to go. That's the point where it feels really crappy and you're like, oh my goodness, I messed up on that presentation or oh my goodness, that decision didn't go the way I wanted it. And in that moment, if you understand where you are and also take the learning and take the lesson out of that and apply it going forward, you've then transformed failure into progress because that's just learning at that point. So um, it feels really crappy and it's it's easier said than done. Um, but if you just have that framework or concept in mind, it is helpful. But mm, uh, shoot, this didn't work out the way I wanted. But let me reflect on it for a little bit and take the meaning or the lesson out of it and make sure I apply it next time and do a little better. And you've just improved yourself and you've just grown. Um, so I think that's key in business and in life. I think it has... Um, application there. The other thing is um, that I that I talk a lot about with my colleagues at work and also my coaching clients is the way you speak to yourself is really important. So you are with yourself 24-7, 365. And I've read studies where we have as many as 6,000 thoughts per day. And a lot of that is that inner kind of inner voice talking to us and, and chattering. So um, if that gets negative, and your inner critic is kind of blaring its nonsense over your PA system, um, you know, you need to take note of that and say, hey, am I, am I talking to myself in a way that's going to help me and is in a way that's encouraging? Um, one of the questions I ask folks is, hey, would you say to a friend, your best friend who you want to do well and you want good things to happen for that person, would you dream of saying that to your friend? 
And most people are like, no, I would never say that to a friend or a stranger or anyone else out loud. Yet they say it to themselves all the time. Mm -hmm. So taking inventory of how you're how you're speaking to yourself. Um, some exercises you can do are pick uh, pick three words that you want to be and how you want to show up. And those might be not how you are today, but maybe one step ahead of where you are or kind of, you know, the vision you have for yourself and just say them to to yourself throughout the day in the morning when you first wake up, um, kind of when those negative thoughts come up, catch it and go, oh, that's time to flip over in into my, you know, encouraging, supportive, highlight reel channel for myself and play mm -hmm. that instead. Um, and, and those can work pretty well. Uh, you can also pair that with, for instance, um, a doorway kind of check. So if you walk through a certain door uh, in your house or where you live, or if you're in office now and you want to make sure, hey, every time I leave or enter this certain room, I want to make sure I remember X, Y, and Z, just put a little habit in there. Like every time I cross through this doorway, for instance, a conference room, I had a, a CEO use this. Every time I enter this conference room for my team meeting, he had three words that he said to himself to remember how he wanted to show up as a leader in that meeting. So that's something folks can use as well. I like that. I think you you talk about, I guess, essentially the mental health of like self-concept, it sounds like is really important, right? So you have your, I think people are often their hardest critics on themselves mm -hmm. and you have your ideal self, what you think you want to be versus your actual self. And then that the bigger the difference, the harder you are on yourself and that affects your self-esteem, your self-concept. And I like, I like the ideas you bring up about, you know, repeating to yourself things that you want to be good habits and, you know, things that you can do for that. I, cause I think it can, it can get really difficult to drown out the negative thoughts in your head once it starts rolling, especially what, what do you suggest you do when you start getting in that negative mindset? Do you, should you write it down? What, what's a good way to take a step back and be like, okay, maybe I'm being too hard on myself. How can I, how can you flip the switch? Yeah. So, um, it's helpful to kind of understand a little bit how your brain works. So for instance, a lot of people have had a negative thought for a long time. And so that kind of makes a groove in your brain, so to speak. You think of a river making a groove in the ground. And so your job is to make a new groove and say, hey, I have to build a path over here for this new um, positive or even neutral thought. If you're going, you know, from way negative, just bring it to neutral might be a good interim step. Um, so every time you catch yourself thinking that negative thought, you need to flip over into something new um, and build and build that new pathway. So the first step with almost anything is awareness. So being aware that that, it, that it's happening. It's really hard to kind of address something or go a different direction. Um, if you can't even notice it's happening. So the first step is just for a week or even a month, just kind of be more cognizant and observe your own thoughts. You know, think about what you're thinking about and don't place any judgment on it. Just say, oh, there's that negative thought that's coming up. Sometimes labeling it helps. So, oh, there's that um, I can't do it thought or there's that worry thought and, and labeling it kind of puts it at arm's distance or puts it in front of you so you can handle it versus like, oh, it's like kind of part of me or it's in me. 
Um, so those are probably the first couple steps. Um, the other thing that I was, I'm actually working with my coach on, um, cause I have a coach, I have a team of coaches is just unplugging from that construct altogether. Um, so I kind of think about it like, uh, Neo in the matrix, the movie, the matrix, and basically your reality is the matrix and it's constructed by a whole bunch of beliefs and lenses and things like that. And sometimes uh, that negative thought, if I have something pop up, it's my cue to just unplug, like literally that kind of needle they put in the back of their neck. I just envision that unplugging and kind of things dissolving where that's not even that's not even real. That's just something you've made up in your head. And so I kind of unplug from the matrix and it's like, oh, I'm not giving it any weight and significance. I'm not giving it any attention to try to resist it because that gives it power. I'm simply unplugging and saying that's that's a construct. I'm here now present. And that's really uh, helpful. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And also with the cognizant thing, I think it'd also be a good idea to maybe try to make a calendar or like a journal and just kind of like note down when you feel those type of um, moods or thoughts or whatever, uh, whether that's, you could do like several times throughout the day, like, okay, every four hours I'll check in and just see like how I feel or what I'm thinking, or just kind of have a calendar and mark down when you're starting to feel those, those thoughts, I think is uh, also a good way to kind of take a step back after a month and be like, okay, I've, I've been thinking this for like two straight weeks, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's a great idea because um, you can also find patterns. So mm -hmm. a lot of times people are like, oh, once I have this data from this journal, there's a certain person that does this or a certain type of person or an event that'll kind of trigger this. And so having that is super helpful to kind of dig in a little bit deeper and say, hmm, what's going on behind that where it's coming up yeah. for me when that comes up? So yeah, I love that. Also, I wanted to ask when we talked about failure, was this in reference to the you know failure loop in your book, Hacking Executive Leadership, right? It was, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And with that, I also know that we talked about the term swizzle <laughs> and it intrigued me because I didn't know what swizzle was, at least in the terms of your book. So do you want to you know mention what that is a little bit? I think the reader or the audience would uh, benefit from that. Yeah, for sure. So the reason you haven't heard the term swizzle is because I made it up, <laughs> it just kind of <laughs> popped out one day. Um, and it's another concept and framework that people can use. So an easy example is, let's say you're putting a PowerPoint presentation together with a whole bunch of slides. And um, you've done three previous PowerPoint presentations that have somewhat related material. So you grab the best slides from each of them and then you know reorder them, reformat it, make sure it's consistent, and you have a brand new slide deck. So you've taken the best from multiple different areas and made a brand new um, deck that's relevant and useful for what you're gonna use it for going forward. So if you expand that concept to different things, and we talked about one, so um, adaptability, I was actually listening to a podcast with uh, Floyd Mayweather, and the interview was asking them like, hey, what makes you such a great boxer? You know, you're top of your game. You're so quick. You're so fit. And he basically said, it's my adaptability that makes me the best boxer. So every round is different. Every opponent is different. Every punch is different. And my ability to adapt in the moment is what makes me a champion. 
And I was like, oh my goodness, when I heard that, I was like, oh, there's something to this. I'm not a boxer in any way, shape or form, but I can apply this to business and to life. So um, if you if you look at the different areas of your life and kind of take the best, best things out of each one and apply them um, to what's relevant to you now, it's a way to be resourceful and it's a way to be a creative problem solver. So I always kind of, um, I walk through that in my book um, and I work with my clients on that a lot because they can often apply a lesson from over here or lift and shift kind of the spirit of something and say, oh my gosh, like that can actually apply in this area of life. So it's a good, uh, a good thing to keep in mind as well. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Cause you know, Floyd is, is, one of the best boxers and <laughs> and you think i mean what he says sounds so intuitive but in the moment because you have to also think it's like oh yeah adaptability like every round is different of course you want to fight and you know differently but in the moment it can also get really hard to remember that because when you're zoned in or you're everything's happening so quickly it's always easier in hindsight or from you know taking a step back but you know whether that's business and you're uh, something's happened, something's gone wrong, you got to fix it. You only have like an hour, you know. Thinking like, okay, well, let's take a step back and see how we can approach it differently. Can sometimes yeah. get fogged by the <laughs> thought of, oh no, I have an hour, <laughs> you know. So yeah, adaptability is is incredible. Yeah, and I didn't expect him to say that. Nor did you could tell the interview was like, you know, you're you're so strong or you train a certain way. And he was like, no. In the end of the end of the day, it's my adaptability. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know. 2020, everyone had to adapt, my goodness. Um, and, you know, certainly if, if a server goes down and you have kind of an hour, you know, ASAP to get it back up, how adaptable are you? So there's lots of different uh, applications for that, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so with, you know, your 15 years of experience, learning about leadership and all that, is this what kind of brought you to because you mentioned you have coaches several coaches right where did that so I, I've noticed this as a trend with people um, that are older and have more experiences they tend to have more coaches and stuff what are the benefits of the coaches that once you've you know once you've started having coaches you noticed in yourself and and why do people have coaches yeah so the reason I have coaches is um it gets me to my goals faster. And it's really, really nice to have just an objective soundboard who their job is to, you know, they're for me and, you know, they encourage me and support me, but they also keep me accountable. So we talk about our goals and we co-create those. But if I've said, you know, my goal is in this direction and they observe that I'm doing something else or I'm, I'm uh, going astray, then they'll call me on it and say, hey, Emily, we talked about this as your goal, yet you're doing this. You know, what do you see about that or what comes up for you? Have your goals changed? Um, and you know, even just having that space and time to, to talk to someone who is objective, who's trained to kind of listen like, hey, you know, I hear this theme coming up over and over again. Um, you know, what do you think about that? And it's something that I can't see myself. So if you think about a sports coach, you know, I played basketball way back in the day, our coaches would watch us at practice and say, mm, you know, do they need help with a certain shot? 
or mm, Emily gets really nervous before big games. Maybe we can work on her confidence and her mindset and some things mentally going into those uh, uh, big events. Um, and same thing, I do that with my clients. So, hey, you know, are you needing help prepping for a board meeting? Or, you know, oh, you didn't get that um, managing director role you wanted, but you're up for it next year. You know, you got some feedback from the partners on what you need to do. Let's put a game plan together and work on that. Um, a lot of people struggle with, you know, confidence and feeling confident to make decisions because uh, as you move up, more and more decisions come your way and they're often weightier decisions. They have more impact. So making sure you don't second guess yourself. But um, yeah, think of the easiest way to think of a business coach is think of a sports coach or a trainer and you're basically doing similar things uh, for a business leader and, and you're helping them just get to their goals faster. Mm -hmm. And how do you, how do you find these coaches? Uh, yeah, well, I'm a coach myself, so there's a network of folks and um, I've picked some up along the way. It's funny, one of my coaches used to be my instructor in coaching school and she was one of my favorite oh, wow. instructors. And I was like, oh my goodness, I've graduated. <laughs> I'm going to hire her. Um, so I work with her and she's fantastic. Um, and she's from New York, so she's a very direct communicator. And so she just <laughs> tells me like it is, which is which is amazing. But she can also see things where um, Emily, I've seen kind of um, you're kind of doing black and white thinking in this area. You know, what comes up for you with that's like, oh, my gosh, like, yes, I'm like all all or nothing. And there's usually some gray area in there. Um, mm. Or, you know, if I'm worrying about something and overthinking something, you know, it's a reminder like, hey, what is a good point to think this through? And what's a good point to stop thinking about it? We're like, hey, you've had evidence in the past that you do just fine on these presentations or you do just fine when you're communicating this information. How much planning is prudent and do you think you should do? And when do you think it you should stop? And I'm like, uh, I mm -hmm. just stopped, you know, a week ago, but <laughs> I'll do it now. <laughs> um, so helping through some of those things is, is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to ask a couple questions, uh, lastly on, you know, advice on small businesses and stuff, but I wanted to ask real quick, was there anything else that you wanted to mention in, in what we've talked about or anything that was kind of glossed over that could, we, we could go into a little bit? I think we covered a lot. So um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of good stuff. And, you know, another takeaway that your listeners can have is it's really important to set your intention at the beginning of the day. So we all go into our day and then we get sucked up by, you know, emergencies and emails and phone calls and everything mm -hmm. else. So I think it's really important to when you wake up, um, you know, take it just literally it could be 30 seconds, maybe a few minutes just to kind of set your intention for the day. And that could be anything that works for you. So anything from um, writing or saying things that you're grateful for just to kind of put your mind in, in that frame of mind um, or, you know, what is my biggest priority for the day, or maybe top two, just so you set like, okay, if I get nothing else done today, what am I going to try to hit? Um, and, or kind of, how do you want to show up? So that could be saying again, you know, what are the three words that I, that I want to be or want to head toward and just keep those in mind at the very beginning of the day. So it's like, you've already made up your mind that I'm going to be this mm -hmm. way or show up this way. You've already made up your mind that you're going to get these two things done today. Um, and you've already made up your mind that, hey, I'm going to remember 
to be grateful for these three things because um, <laughs> sometimes throughout our day, it's like everything's going wrong and yeah. I, nothing is going <laughs> right and I, I hate everything. So um, just kind of setting your mind um, and having that attention and intention at the beginning of the day is important. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's definitely very true. I've, I've learned that the hard way, <laughs> whether that's uh, putting more on my plate than I can, you know, handle mm-hmm. or, you know, when you get caught up in your day and you think oh, nothing's going right, those are very important. And I've learned that if you put the one or two most important things that you're doing for the day and you accomplish those to just kind of mentally tell yourself that you have had a successful day. Yeah. So anything else is extra rather than saying, okay, I want to do one through six today <laughs> and you get through one through three and then you're like, oh, I only get did 50%. That's like an F. I, you know, I only got 50% of the stuff done and you, and, and day after day after day. So that is important and definitely waking up and setting your mind in the right attitude was something I also learned because sometimes you wake up and you're in a rush or, you know, you wake up and if you don't, I don't know, you, you wake up and you're not in the right attitude, things don't flow as as they should yeah, for you. Yeah, for sure. I feel like. So just mm-hmm. kind of putting that intention. And you hit on something really important as well, which is give yourself credit for things you have done. So sometimes it feels like, oh my goodness, I haven't made progress on that project. But if you really stopped and wrote down what you've done in the last you know, 90 days, you're like, oh my gosh, I did a lot. So, you know, mm-hmm. take a second to reflect on the things that you have done and the things that you have done well um, and acknowledge yourself and give yourself credit for those. Mm-hmm. And so I guess lastly, to get into it, I wanted, so the majority of my audience is around 20s to 40s, right? And so for those people who are interested in a side hustle or a small business or a startup, uh, whether they've already started or are about to start and need some advice, what are what are some advice you would give for people that don't know how to, you know, whether it's grow the business, you know, start the business, things like that? Yeah. Um... I would say know what you're good at. So know your strengths and know what you're not good at. Know your weaknesses and build your team around your weaknesses. Um, so, you know, if you're really good at the strategic vision part, great. That's that's you. You need someone who can help the t- with the tactical and practical implementation of your ideas and of your and of your vision. Um, and you know that could be skill set specialty as well. Hey, if you know a lot about I don't know, you're a chiropractor and you're starting your own you know, practice, but you don't know a lot about the marketing pieces. Well, you know, you go be a good chiropractor. Don't, you know, try to become an expert at all the marketing. Find someone who knows how to do that and talk to them about your business. Make sure you work well with them, but then, you know, get them on your team um, to work Mm -hmm. with you. So a lot of people try to stretch way outside of their comfort zone or their specialty, which, you know, does have to happen a little bit, but if you're going way outside and yeah, it's taking away from what you do really, really well, I would say, you know, there's lots of resources um, out there to, to help you part-time or full-time um, with mm-hmm. some of those things. With people that are, you know, doing it as a part-time thing, maybe a side hustle, um, and they only can allocate a little bit of time 
what is the benefit? Like, what should they focus on when they're starting a startup company um, and need to get team members and stuff? So I guess two parts is what do you focus on when you start mainly? And where would where do you find people? Is this through connections? Is it do you go and just message a ton of people or is there, you know, conventions that people meet at? They're like, okay, I should go there and I'll find a ton of people that are good at coding or something, right? Yeah. Okay. So the first part I would say there's this concept called MVP or minimally viable product. And it's used in, it's used in technology cycles typically or product release cycles, but it can be used for anything and especially for startups. So what is your MVP? Meaning what is your minimally viable product? So if you're building a service or building a product, um, what is what is the core of that? So you can release it and get feedback. It might not have all the features and functionality you want it to have or it will eventually have, but get something that tests the concept out to market and say, okay, let me get some early adopters, let me get some beta testers and get some feedback because the the thought and intention you had of where the product should go and how it should be built might change. So you might think, mm-hmm. oh, users want it to do this thing and you get some feedback like, oh my goodness, I gotta make it go over here. And so therefore you haven't spent cycles on doing that. Um, you've got your MVP out first and then you can start iterating on it from there. So for any kind of entrepreneur or startup, I would say, what gives you the biggest bang for your buck and what is good enough? And that's not a cop out for doing high quality work. It's literally by definition, it's good enough for, for mm-hmm. right now. So get that going. Don't let perfection, um, you know, perfection is, uh, is the enemy of progress sometimes. So just get it done, have a bias toward done and then move from there. So that's the biggest thing uh, that I see people get caught up with. Like I have to have it all the way built or I have to have it perfect and pitch perfect. And it's like, you need to get it out to market. You need to get some feedback. Mm-hmm. You need to get something going. Um, and they've spent, you know, months and months and months and, you know, tens of thousands of dollars and they haven't actually done anything. Um, so just get it out to market as soon as, as you can. Um, in terms of finding resources, all the, all the methods you mentioned um, can work. So certainly work your network and connections. Hey, if you know someone or, you know, your little cousin happens to do digital marketing or, you know, your sister does, uh, can put together pamphlets or whatever you need, certainly leverage those folks. Um, there's Fiverr and there's Upwork, platforms like that. If there's something that's specific to your industry. Um, so, you know, if, if you are, I don't know, I'm making stuff up here, opening a massage school, there are like massage conventions, um, Mm -hmm. uh, to go there and and network with people. And if there's any conferences and a lot of them are virtual these days, you don't have to go anywhere. You can just sign up, um, and connect with people that way. So uh, a whole bunch of different options. And of course, um, you can put an ad out for, for things. Um, but a lot of the, admin tasks um, can be offshored or nearshored, and that can be a great way. Um, if you find a good talent there, it can uh, you can have some high quality work, and it also is cost effective for you. So yeah. um, I've had several clients, and I use myself, um, some fantastic resources through Upwork and things like that who I've found. And like automating certain things is, Absolutely. is good too. Yep. Yeah. So lastly, I want to ask for those of us that are, you know, content creators um, specifically. When I started, I didn't realize content creation 
kind of parallels with a small business. I, I would I would say, especially as you grow, because you build it. Because the same thing, you find team members, you build a team, you gather people where your weaknesses are, and you know you do marketing team, whatever that is. You know you're building the brand is, I guess, your content essentially. So I don't know if you've worked with more content related uh, business type things, but I wanted to ask, what advice would you give for the small businesses of content creators, essentially, where, how do you think people can grow from that aspect? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big question. Uh, Let's see, I would say, the first thing that comes to mind there is repurpose your content. So if you build one piece of content, you can use that in several different places. So, you know, on your blog or your social media streams or a video or a curriculum or, or whatnot. It depends on your business, obviously. Um, but a lot of people get stuck in, I need to make a specific piece of content for each and every little thing I'm doing. And they can, in fact, repurpose it or maybe just tweak it slightly. And it works perfectly fine. And it, it very well might be the first time someone is seeing that. So they're thinking, oh, my gosh, it's going to be a repeat of, of things over and over. And it's not because you're meeting people where they hang mm-hmm. out and where they live. Um, and the other thing um, is, which goes back to MVP is, you know, you might not need to make as much content as you think originally. Just get something out and build off of there. So it can mm-hmm. be a very iterative process. Just get the ball rolling. The hardest part is starting and getting that initial inertia going. And once you do, you're like, oh, I've got this content and I can build mm-hmm. off of that. And you get ideas and you get feedback and people are interacting with you. Um, so I would I would say, you know, just start uh, repurpose where you can. Um, and it, after you start... of the time, things will naturally unfold from there. You'll get an idea as you're creating that content. You'll get an idea from someone who's who's seen your content. Mm -hmm. What do you suggest for people, um, and this goes for businesses too, I guess, when you need more feedback? Mm. Because I think sometimes feedback can be a difficult one, um, especially when you're asking people to take time out of their day to, you know, give you feedback, especially when there's nothing in return. because, you know, people are busy or someone's, whether it's content and someone's listening to a podcast while driving or you're using a software and you're taking notes and a thing pops up that says, please give us feedback and you just exit out of it. <laughs> what do you suggest to help people get more feedback on their business or their content? Yeah, I mean, friends and family, which is a double-edged sword because they'll do it because they like you, but they also might not be your target audience. Um, But you can get some general, you know, common sense feedback. Sometimes it's actually beneficial because you're like, hey, I need someone who is not a technologist to test this. And you're like, grandma, come over here. Can you do this? (laughs) Um, And then like we talked about network, uh, if you if you have a little bit of a following, you can ask like, hey, we're looking for beta testers or hey, we're looking for people to, to run this trial and you'll get to see our new functionality or give them something for it if you can. So, you know, free access for a month or, you know, lifetime something if they're the very first ones to use it. Um, if you're in a position to give, you know, a little gift card, uh, that gets a lot of traction. Um, so any sort of reward, whether it's material or otherwise, maybe you get, you know, um, an early adopter badge or a tester, you know, certification or anything just to give them a little bit of incentive um, to take the action you want. And again, I would try to make the 
the testing as short and simple as possible, unless you need very thorough testing, in which case I would try mm-hmm. to reward them in a commiserate way. Um, but people are often fine saying, I'll answer five questions. If you tell me it's going to be short and answer five questions, cool. If you're wanting me to sit down for 90 minutes and fill out an essay, you're going to get a lot of people dropping off that. So mm-hmm. um, really target, you know, what do I want to know most about my initial content or about this business idea and, and structure and frame up your questions so you really get that piece. Okay, so you want the core of it, you want it to be short and sweet, and you want to provide some benefit that you'll actually do it. Yeah. And again, okay. if you can do a gift card, cool. I, I reply to ones where I get an Amazon gift card. But a <laughs> lot of people just love like getting a badge or getting some sort of recognition or even just, you know, thank you for helping me get this off the ground. They like being in early. And the fact that they could be one of the first people to look at it or touch it or, or help mm-hmm. you with it is is enough. But give them kind of what they get out of it um, by helping you test it. Yeah. All right. So thank you, Emily, for you know being on this episode and sharing your knowledge in the business industry. I think people are going to find a lot of value out of this. And I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been a, a pleasure and an honor being a guest on your show. So thank you very much. It was fun. 